Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest is Jay Ford, author of, among many other things, Blood Secret. Jay, welcome. Uh, now, before we begin chatting, can I ask you to just read to us a little bit from Blood Secret, just to give us a taste? Sure. I've chosen a piece which is um, about halfway through, um, which is uh, hopefully not too long, uh, but it just talks a little bit about Rennie, who's the main character of this story. Um, so I'll just start now. She moved restlessly about the house, not searching now, but staying busy, feeling as though the adrenaline that had been cooling inside her since Saturday night would start leaking out her pores if she didn't get rid of it. If she went for a run, she could take another look around for signs of Max, do a little reconnaissance at the same time. She pulled on shoes, tied back her hair, zipped both mobile phones into the pockets of her running pants and checked Hayden was still asleep. Five minutes later, she'd locked the doors behind her and was turning left at the lake's edge, the water smooth and deep green like an enormous sheet of opaque glass. She thought again about Max's detour on the way to the party. Was it the lure of the sunset or a last look before he left? Shaking it off, she focused on more reassuring things, the beat of her stride, the rhythm of her breath. Rennie was born with a built-in capacity to run. As a small, skinny kid, she'd done everything at a trot, going the car to the shops down the road around the park. It drove Joanne crazy. Her mother had watched with distaste, seeing only her father's jeans in it. She'd finished a couple of school cross-country events so far ahead of the pack she thought she'd taken a wrong turn. A teacher once accused her of cheating. Others got stars in their eyes about rep teams and trophies, but Rennie was never in one place long enough to achieve any of that. At the roundabout where the four-wheel drive had cut them off, the grassy path at the water's edge narrowed to nothing. Rennie stepped onto the roadway, feeling the hard surface in her shins, and ran along the outside edge of the two-lane strip of bitumen, facing any oncoming traffic, the short drop to the water at her side. The kid had tailgated them along this stretch, swerving into the lane that was now her running track. She alternated a gaze between the road and the water, searching for anything that looked like it had come from Max. Watch, wallet, shoe, a scrap of fabric from his clothes. The only way something like that would get there was if he'd been scrambling around the rocks or his belongings had been thrown from the car. It fit her father released from Mario and the one with the kid in the four-wheel drive, not the version where Max had left her. As her eyes moved in a side-to-side pattern and her legs counted the rhythm for her breath, she thought of other roads she'd run with awareness. It was one of the lessons her mother had drilled into her, know what belongs and what doesn't, the homes, the cars, the faces. Familiarity is a useful tool when you are hiding from a ghost. Do you want me to keep reading? <laughs> well, it's, it's totally up to you. I mean, it's you know utterly engrossing, and I, I just love how you're revealing Rennie, but also in many ways revealing kind of the, the I guess, the overall character arc as well, um, you know, where we're starting, where we're going to go, who is this person. To me... I felt like the story wasn't so much a thriller as really Rennie's story. Yes, definitely Rennie's story, yes. And I kind of felt that um, I really wanted her to start as a character in one place, um, being just, you know, one of a, a girl that you met at the start of the story and perhaps, you know, in a relationship and slowly, slowly reveal every kind of ugly thing about her life. And so that each time you learn something more, hopefully the reader kind of has to change their perspective and shift what they think about her. 
Mm. And of course, that's what happens with her and Max, you know, and Hayden as well. I mean, all the characters really, as they learn something more, they have to shift their perspective. Yes, yeah, that's right. About each other and hopefully the reader as well. Yeah, it was one of the theories that I started with at the start of this book is that I wanted everybody at the start to appear to be one thing but actually turn out to be something completely different. Mm. Uh, do you do that? Is that sort of a standard common theme for you in your work? Um, not that necessarily. I guess if you want a common theme, it would be more about um, backstories for characters and slowly revealing those. So in some sense, the story is both moving forwards and backwards at the same time. Mm. And that moving forward and backwards, I mean, that just thinking in terms of that little passage that you read, you know, the way in which um, Rennie is, is running in her mind, the way she's always running and always observing and staying on top of things. Um, it's almost the opposite. It's a sort of transition to stillness. Yes, well, that's right, because in, in some ways in that story, she's forced to be still when really, yeah, as you say, in her mind, it's ticking over very fast. And at another time, she would have been moving and leaving and on the run. And, uh, and I quite liked the idea of having to force her to stay force her to be still when that was the last thing she would choose to do. Mm. Like transition to stillness, which is a nice paradox. <laughs> yes, yes, it is, yeah. Right. So the story idea started with a real-life road rage incident. I know that. Um, tell me about it. Uh, well, it was my husband and I. Uh, we were going to our local Thai restaurant, uh, which is, you know, 10 minutes walk down the road, a couple of minutes in the car. And uh, it was a Saturday evening, so it was dark, and uh, we uh, were kind of a, a kid in a four-wheel drive, a small four-wheel drive, jumped in front of us in, in a um, roundabout. Uh, fast enough and close enough that we had to kind of put the brakes on quite quickly. And uh, I think my husband bimped the horn and we kept going, and the kid wasn't happy about that, so he continued around the roundabout, followed us all the way to the shop into the car park and as we walked from the car he pulled up in front of us and basically was trying to incite a fight over road rules you know he there was nothing to argue about and nothing had happened but he just really went to town on road rules basically and our response was to kind of ignore it and uh, you know just say yeah whatever and move on and as he started to drive away it was so bizarre and over the top that we started to laugh and he saw us slammed the car into reverse and then, you know, tyres screeching, rubber burning, whatnot, skidded all the way back to us and then followed us as we walked down the, um, the roadway with his bumper bar basically at the back of our legs and uh, to the point where we, were, we went into a bottle shop and on the way up the driveway he was so close behind we really didn't know what he was going to do. Um, he eventually left when we went into the bottle shop and started shouting and whatnot. And, uh, and then afterwards we went to the restaurant and we were waiting for our food and my husband said, I think, we'll, I think I'm just going to go out and check the car. And uh, we had this conversation about, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. You know, the kid could still be out there. You know, he was threatening the car and making all sorts of threats. Anyway, my husband went out there and I sat in the restaurant for about 10 minutes thinking, what do I do if he doesn't come back? And uh, fortunately, he did come back. And I thought, yeah, that's a really great start to, the start to a story. What if the guy doesn't come back? And we actually kind of spent the rest of that meal talking about how that might unfold. And uh, most of what we talked about didn't end up in the book. But, yeah, that, that road rage and Max not coming back is how the story opens. 
a typical writer, you're in the midst of a, <laughs> a, a scary situation and you're thinking, hmm, I could use this. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think when you write and uh, something really flares at you like that, half of your brain is always thinking, hmm, how could that work? <laughs> yeah. So tell me more about Rennie. She's such a tough cookie, isn't she? Did you have a model for her? Um, I, not a model. I had uh, inspiration from a friend, um, probably a few months before that road rage incident. A friend of mine um, told me that the name I knew her by uh, wasn't her real name and then kind of explained to me, just in conversation, the story of how her mother had packed bags one night and taken her and her two siblings um, and escaped an abusive father and um, they moved to a new city. The kids were allowed to choose their own names and they spent years just watching out for their father in fear of him. And uh, that thought of uh, what that would be like to kind of um, create a whole new identity for yourself and to you know, have to keep secrets even from people, people you love just seemed really fascinating. So that, that kind of stayed in my mind um, when I started to think about how that road rage moment might play out. And uh, I, so that, the Winnie character isn't actually anything like my friend. Um, and she's actually read the book and, and she laughed and said, no, it's not like her. But um, that feeling of having to be safe, and I just took it that step further. So Rennie and her sister actually end up um, in a bad situation with the father previous to the book as part of the backstory, and I wanted that to really shape her as well. And and in fact, um, you ask if there's like a, a model for her. When I was writing her, I actually found her really difficult to get a hold of because she is really um, controlled and restrained and remote, and I found that really hard to write. found that I was uh, feeling like I was kind of pushing the writing in a direction it didn't really need to go, and then... And then when I went back to kind of flesh her out, I realized that that, in fact, is who she is. She is actually really remote. And so I kind of then worked at how to flesh her out. And that was kind of a very satisfying satisfying process, actually. Yeah, well, I guess there's, you know, there's this lovely, um, um, this lovely sort of irony in the reader because we do know that she's not, she's not all tough. I mean, you know, you do re- reveal that she's struggling with her tender side. And uh, and being vulnerable in that sense, which she's always fought against. So that you know, that's kind of a little bit delicious. Yeah, and I, I actually really like that about her as well. That she manages to be both things. You know, both really tough and scared, and vulnerable and really kind of solid at the same time. And the both sides of her making both all decisions for her when it gets really rough at the end you know she she needs to be both of those people to do what she needs to do at the end and I, I actually really liked that about her yes yes and she's a, a good foil for Max too who almost goes to the other extreme and is a little floppy yeah, <laughs> yeah floppy I like that yeah it was quite fun to write him they had this Rennie who was so you know wound up and and so um you know, remote and, and held herself so tightly. And he was, yes, floppy, as you say, but it was quite nice to have that foil for me to write this guy who was really kind of laid back and, yeah, whatever, and uh, kind of thinking good things instead of bad things all the time. And, and fun for me to write the two balances. And I also felt that that, um, that kind of would have made them work in a very strange way. Yeah, oh, because they're both a little damaged. I mean, they're both quite damaged. Um, do you feel in some ways, too, that you're, you know, the book is, 
one of the key themes of the book is about healing that damage, how we heal that damage. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I think in some ways um, this story is about what happens after um, a bad crime or a bad incident. The fact that there is a crime in it um, means that those emotions are kind of pushed forward in the healing process or the, the damage part of, of those people is kind of pushed to the forefront. But, but in some ways it's about how do you heal from trauma and from bad decisions and from things that you um, wish that you hadn't done. And, and part of it is about finding the right reasons to move forward for the right way, in the right way. Mm. And maybe that balance, too, between tough and soft, which is, you know, again, a really nice contrast that happens through the book. Yes, yes, yes finding, finding the part of you that um, perhaps you want to be more than the other part. Mm. So let's talk just a little about Rennie's dad. I mean, he's a shadowy monster. He's almost not real. You know, you almost, almost see him as the monster under the bed. Yes, yeah, definitely. And, and I guess for her, uh, I mean, because her situation with her mother, her mother was um, became quite, well, I would guess you would really call it mental ill over the whole um, paranoia of waiting for this guy to turn up again. And so in some senses, Rennie had almost discounted her father um, and thought that her mother was the, was the one to really fear. And, and, of course, until he turned up when she was 15 and um, it all went to hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, tell me about the, the cover, because it's so scary. <laughs> what is that lock? Um, what's this lock? Well, I think, um, I guess a lock represents a secret in some ways. And uh, and I, um, obviously, somebody else designed this. And my and my and when my publisher first showed it to me, um, we both really liked the lock, because it rep a lock represents so many things. And, of course, is a lock in the book as well and without giving that that part of the story away there is a lock and it kind of all fed together so yeah i really like it as well yeah and i guess metaphorically the lock is on i guess on reddy's heart <laughs> and uh and, and maybe on hayden's too yeah definitely and uh, perhaps a few other people in that story as well Certainly, mm. you know her sister and yes and her father to some degree as well and uh yeah, so in some ways it represents a whole lot of things within that story. Um, the same as the title represents a whole lot of things within the story. Originally the, the term of blood secret had been a reference to the blood that was spilled um, in the car park and what is the secret behind that. And, of course, it is about that. But so many people that I've spoken to about it say, oh, but it's all about, you know, uh, relationships and, you know, families. And, yes, and it, it is about all of those things as well. Yes. I mean, I, I, I gave it to my mother, actually, to read after I'd read it. And she said, oh, I can't read that. It's far too scary looking. Because <laughs> it's scary luck. And then within two, you know, two minutes or three minutes into the story, she said, oh, no, I have to keep reading. I've got to find out what happened to Max. So. I love to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> so um, did you struggle with any of the characters more than others? You did t tell me about um, Rennie's remote remoteness. Were any of the characters really difficult? Um, Ren mostly, and um, making the father seem, as you say, you know, you called him the monster under the bed, and to make him seem real um, was quite difficult. I didn't want to, I worried at times that I was taking him 
too far into the violent side that it wouldn't be believable and then trying to maintain him as uh, a realistic that was you know even though he really only appears at the end he is a character all the way through that that was quite difficult I suppose for me the most difficult thing um, uh, most of the other characters um, worked kind of quite well came alive on their own the bad guy without giving that away he was a difficult piece of work (laughs) but he proved to be that in the end as well um, the most difficult part was splitting up the two point of views of Rennie and Max. I, I ended up writing those as two separate pieces because they don't really connect. And uh, and at the end, the process of piecing them together throughout the story uh, really nearly did my head in. It basically took over my office and I had seeds sprout all over the floor of my office and I spent maybe a week down there just sliding bits of paper in and out and trying to work out how that was all going to fit together. Ah, yeah, I've heard that um, Game of Thrones was written that way too, as consecutive stories, which were then broken up afterwards. Oh, right, okay, yeah. I mean, when I was writing Max, um, in in the other books that I've written with two points of view, um, I've always written them um, consecutively, you know, each scene, one following the other, but because they didn't, um, they didn't, didn't interconnect. I found it too difficult to work out what each of them were doing, so I ended up writing them two separate stories and uh, keeping in mind where it might go. But um, the, the most difficult thing in the end of that was I had I had much more of Max at the first half of the book, and then my my sister um, suggested that perhaps I I keep him away for a while, um, which I thought was quite a good idea. But of course, that meant rewriting a lot of his story and feeding it in further into the story. So, yeah, that was really complicated. Your settings are always local ones. Why is that? Um, I actually made a conscious decision when I started writing crime that I was going to set it in regional areas in Australia and in places that I knew and really liked and thought would kind of work really well. I had been reading a lot of American crime fiction. It always struck me that, um, that they often wrote in regional areas to where they and uh, in Australia at the time when I started writing uh, thrillers, uh, a lot of the crime novels were set either Sydney or Melbourne would be, you know, an iconic outback setting. And I thought, well, you know, I think that we can do a regional setting here as well. Uh, and it was a good way of showing off where I live because I really like that in The Hunter. And uh, and at the time, I really had no idea whether that first book would ever get published. So yeah, I just went with what I what I thought. It was set out um, in in Dungold, uh, which is close to where I live, and it's a place where I've been on weekends. So it just seemed like the perfect place to to start that. Um, and I also think a lot of readers have have some some experience regional areas in one way or another if they haven't lived. They've been on holidays there or they've driven through it and so it's something that they can uh, imagine. And uh, my second book was set in Newcastle but not what most people would think of as Newcastle as either the industry or the beach but, you know, the uh, uh, suburban setting in a neighbourhood and a small kind of set of small business area. And uh, and I thought whether people lived in regional or city areas, they would recognise that kind of thing. So that's kind of my thinking behind it. And with the lake, I had always wanted to write something on the lake. And the fact that that initial road rage incident had happened right there on the shores of that, I just kind of um, I thought it was a really good time to do it. Mm, absolutely. And and uh, the settings are, are so real. I guess you do just go outside and walk around. Do you find if you need some setting that you can just look? Um, sometimes, 
Most of my stories have a definite um, setting that kind of I decide it needs to be there um, and I kind of recreate the real setting into what I need and then of course I have to give it a new name. Um, with um, with um, Blood Soup I really wanted to set it on a lake and I had some ideas in mind of some of the small communities on the western side of the lake there rather than the really busy ones and, and something that was close to the expressway because you need to go back and forth off the expressway. Um, and I have a friend who lives in Wanji and she offered to show me around there and, and we did the whole, you know, walking tour around Wanji and I saw the, the local shops and, and the buildings on the water's edge there and um, the point with the with the park and the gun placements and I really felt that that was just a really great place to set that. And, and of course I redesigned it and built roads and moved parks and I moved the gun emplacements as well. and. And, uh, and so, of course, then I had to give it another name. But to me, it really is the lake. You know, I've spent 20 years living on the lake, and it is beautiful. And I wanted to be able to kind of talk about how beautiful it is and also talk about the creepy, scary places around the lake. <laughs> mm. Yeah, there's tunnels. Are they all weird? Yeah. Well, no, I, I, there aren't tunnels. I, <laughs> I in tunnels. They are fictional tunnels. <laughs> But I, I did speak to a local engineer and he did say, yes, it was possible to have tunnels there, but uh, the gun emplacements are there. Okay. Yeah, wonderful. I, I mean, I was tempted to just go and have a look because I thought, oh, what a great setting. <laughs> yeah, the, so scary. Uh, the gun emplacements themselves are really creepy. I went up there with my friend and, and uh, she said, let's go down inside them. And, and there is a bunker underneath and the walls were just like matted with uh, spider webs which were revolting. And when we got inside, the one that we went into had been swept clean and laid with like big branches, um, you know, big leafy branches and a fireplace had been set up in the centre. So there were obviously people using it regularly or living in it or sleeping in it or whatever. Yeah, it was really creepy and eerie. And, uh, and of course, mm -hmm. that's a really good place to put the book. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. What a perfect setting. Um, so you've spoken in other interviews about the dreaded plot trap, that place where the plot falls apart and you've got to come back and fix it. Did that happen with Blood Secret? Um, yeah, it did. I think that Blood Secret was more plot-driven than the other stories I had written, and I had um, I had various things in my mind about what needed to happen. And the, the middle of it was a big falling-apart moment. I had all things happening and they were in the wrong order, and I kind of, I kind of got to halfway, the halfway mark, and thought, no, no, they're all in the wrong order, and I'm not sure how this should happen, and how this bit needs to play out. And basically, the thinking was, if I do this now, then I can't do that later, and this has to happen here, but then that can't happen there. So yeah, it was about six weeks in the middle of basically just fiddling around in the scenes that I'd written until I finally decided to kind of backtrack and rewrite them and move shuffle things around and. And uh, it, it started to fall into place then. So, yeah, it was always a scary moment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, tell me about Already Dead. Um, your titles are all two words and quite scary. Do you stick with that formula or has it just worked out that way? No, I actually really like the two-word thing. The Beyond Fear was... Um, um, came to me midway through that book and I really liked that and, and then I used those words in the book. Um, Scarejet came to me as well and then after that I, I just really liked that, that two word thing. I thought that was kind of a thing that might label me as well. And uh, yeah, so I like the two word thing and yeah, I like to make it sound a little bit creepy in the, in the title. I think it says something about the story then. Um, the title Already Dead for my new one is actually um, a, 
um, a phrase that's used in at the end of the first chapter in that book. So it can't and by someone by a character that um, um, is a um, very violent and confused man, but actually doesn't make it all that way through the books. It's kind of it's kind of about him and why he was called that. So um, or why he used that phrase. So um, it says a little bit about that character, but once again, I really like that title that says a whole bunch of things and um, the main character her name is Miranda Jack um, and her husband was killed hit and run a year before the story is set so it's kind of about that as well and um, her process through uh, it the story starts with a carjacking and she's stuck in a car with this crazy man so uh, and a gun um, about two hours and so it's about um, how that plays out and how she deals with that afterwards. And she is a former journalist, uh, she asks lots of questions. It's kind of a natural state for her and, and she asks too many questions and it starts to get dangerous. Mm. Tempted already. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Um, I do love. I actually, I, I have to say, I, I love the way "blood secret" has a you know a dual meaning as well. So that you know, obviously, we think of the blood that spilled, but of course, the blood, the genetic blood as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like that kind of play on words. That you start reading the book and you think maybe the title means this, but maybe it means that as well. And yeah, I like I like that. Do you always start with the title? Is it in place before you begin? No, not at all. With "Beyond Fear," I. Um, I, of course, I wasn't published at that stage and I had written most of the book and I needed to, uh, I decided to pitch it to an agent at a conference, that one of those horrible face-to-face nerve-wracking pitches and I needed a title for the book. So I kind of brainstormed it out and came up with Beyond Fear and once I had that, um, it, it, I could then use it in the book. And once again, it was that double meaning, what happens when... Um, what happens past the and what happens, you know, when you're driven to that point and also what happens when you actually don't fear anymore. And so that, that book is kind of about that. And uh, so I sold that um, on a two-book contract and the publisher was asking me, did I have another book? And I didn't. I had an idea about a stalker and uh, I just came up with the title, Scared Yet, with a question mark. The publisher loved the, loved the title and the question mark, so I kind of had that title right from the start. Um, and with um, Blood Secret, I was um, I had been offered another two book contract, and the publishers wanted to know what the first book would be about. And so I I pitched a story to them, and I obviously needed a, a title for that, and came up with Blood Secret. And uh, and then the the one that I'm writing now already did. I did actually start with a different title. First time I started with a different title, and I had to change it. But um, but it, I am hoping that this book will be the start of a series of sorts and uh, and so I kind of needed to pitch that also to my publisher so I, I really wanted a title for that. So it's mm. kind of a weird well, that's, process. That's a new thing for you too, isn't it, a series? Yeah, that's right. Um, I guess in some ways I'd always wanted to write a series of some sort. I'm not interested in doing a police procedural and I didn't really want to do a private investigator so my this character, Miranda Jack, is a former journalist, a question asker by nature, and um, is kind of drawn into um, investigations or um, unknown things um, almost by reluctance or accidents at times. So kind of using it like that. Um, uh, I had always wanted, 
you know, to this character, Moran Jack, has been in my mind for quite a long time. But I guess also as a writer, the, there's a certain lure to having um, characters that are already established and places that are already established that you don't need to recreate an entire world with an entire population of characters every time you write a book. That's true. And I suppose if you're doing a series, you don't get that, I don't know if you get it, but I imagine you would get that just slight sense of sadness when you finished um, about just leaving a character that you've come to kind of love and know. Yes, there is that. Yeah, there is that. There is a kind of sadness and, and uh, yeah, it does take a while to let go of them sometimes. So I guess, I guess with the series, you, you don't have that. And, uh, I am hoping that I can write other thrillers in between the series so it's not all just forevermore Miranda Jack because I think that would drive me nuts as well to have the same character and never actually develop another one. So we'll see how that plays out. Oh, well, good luck with it. Um, and that's all we have time for today. But, Jay, so good to talk to you. And listeners, don't forget to tune in next month when we chat with Brendan Shanahan, author of The Secret Life of the Gold Coast. Bye for now.